Good morning and welcome everybody. I've seen that bumper video about a dozen times now and it gets me every time when the sound cuts out on it. Uh, I'm figuring out, maybe by part three I'll, I'll get there eventually. Uh, welcome back to Encounter. I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad you guys decided to come back after part one missing last week. Um, it, it, it ended and it wasn't, like I said, a typical like sitcom sermon, uh, sitcom message. And, uh, and that's, that's okay because they don't all have to be, and, uh, and we'll come back to that eventually. But remember, like a sitcom sermon or a sitcom message is, is one where there's some initial like tension or drama, and then it's all, it's all resolved by the end of like 30 minutes inclusive of commercial breaks. And we didn't do that last week. Um, we, we ended this time together with the prayer wall and, and recognizing that, that sometimes our, our answers take some time on God's part. And there's not always a nice little bow on it. And so you came back again, and I'm, I'm grateful for that to continue this series, God on Mute, part two today. Uh, today in part two of the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, um, it's about waiting is the theme. And so I thought, hey, in order to get us into like the frame of mind of, of things that we have to wait for or things that maybe uh, we don't want to wait for, let's play, let's play a fun little game together. This is fun, admittedly, mostly for me, but indulge me a little bit. Let's play a game together. This is how it goes. Everybody's playing online at your couch. You're playing too. Fulton Heights here at Kentwood. We're all playing this one together. I'm going to say a scenario. And you're going, to, uh, you're going to say out loud, because we practice truth around here and do life together. You're going to say out loud how long it would take for you to do something, to say something, to respond in any kind of a way, right? So I say the scenario, I'll count to three, you're going to say your responses out loud wherever you might be, and then I'll tell you like what the average response is, and you can decide, you can figure out whether you're a, a more patient than average person. And I'm expecting as a Jesus community, that we're going to be, we're going to have grown this fruit of the Spirit of God living inside of us. But I also want you to be honest, practice truth. Okay, here are the scenarios. You guys know how to play? You got it good? Okay, all right, the first scenario that we're doing. How long would it take you to respond if you were stuck behind a car parked at a green light? Okay, lock in your answers. One, two, three, Go. I saw a lot of like three and five seconds. That's awesome. I don't know. I can't. Where am I getting my information? I've got 50 seconds written down, which seems, that seems a little bit incredible. Let's, let's, let's try another one. Let's try another one. You're in line at Starbucks, okay? And the line isn't moving. How long does it take you to respond, say something, do something in any, in any way? Okay, lock in your answers. You got it? Three, two, one. Okay, five minutes, five minutes, several seconds. Okay, I, I, I got you. The average Jesus people is seven minutes. Maybe he's got a little more work to do. I'm, gl- I'm glad you're here. You know what? This is the right place for you. The church is a hospital for sinners, not a country club for saints, so I'm glad you're here. Last one, and I'm sorry to do this, but it's Valentine's weekend, and like I said, it's, it's a fun game for me to do. How long would it take you to do something to say something if you're waiting on your significant other to get ready. <laughs> All right, lock in your answers nice and loud, everybody. Three, two, one. Two minutes, 15 minutes. I heard one, infinity. That's the right answer, by the way. <laughs> Average response is 21 minutes. We're, <laughs> we're waiting. We're waiting. Yeah, groans. 
We don't like waiting. Nobody likes waiting. Waiting is, waiting is wasted time, right? If your life is measured in minutes and moments, every minute and moment you spend waiting is a bit of your life that's wasted. Uh, I read that on average, uh, a person will spend about six months of their life in line of some kind or another. You'll spend, on average, 43 days in your lifetime waiting on hold with customer service. If you're a customer of Comcast, you can just write, revise that upward. I'm processing through my own, my own grief here. Um, we, we don't like waiting because we want to do something, we want to get something, and we want to go somewhere. Some of us are, are waiting this season, Valentine's Day weekend, and you're like going, he didn't show up, she didn't show up, I'm still waiting for them to like materialize. Maybe you're with somebody right now already and you're like, I'm waiting for them to rematerialize into a better person. I'm waiting for him to realize he was wrong. She was wrong. And I'm just going to keep, keep on waiting. Uh, those of you who have struggled uh, through some physical injuries and you're waiting, you can do nothing but, but wait and, and keep off it. And you want to get back out to the field. You want to get back out to the track. You want to do life like you're used to doing, but you're like in solitary confinement in your own apartment or your own house. Unable to do the things that you took so for granted just a month ago. And you're stuck. You're, you're waiting. Some of you are waiting geographically. Maybe here in Grand Rapids. I love this city. I recognize some people are here for an academic program. Some people are here for a career. And it's not the place that you want to be. Are you watching this one online and you're away from home and you don't want to be where you are and you're, you're stuck where you are and you move there for a program, you move there for a career and you just didn't know that for a while would turn into forever and you're stuck and you're waiting. And as we dig into this Old Testament book of Habakkuk, we recognize something. Habakkuk, remember from last week, as the, the people's prophet, because most prophets of God would speak on behalf of God to the people. Habakkuk is unique because he inverts that. He speaks on behalf of the people to God. God, why are you allowing this to happen? Why are you allowing uh, inequity, uh, injustice, corruption to happen in your holy city, in Jerusalem? It's like, no, no, this is happening within the faithful people of God, not outside of it. God, how long are you going to put up with that? He's waiting, and then something happens. What happens for Habakkuk is oftentimes what happens to the rest of us. What's injected into that waiting is hurt and is pain. Conflict is injected into the waiting, and it makes it sting that much more. For Habakkuk, what happened in the waiting? How long are you going to put up with this? Last week, God spoke and said, even right now, I'm readying your enemies, the Babylonians. They're going to come in, and they're going to lay siege to this city and just destroy this thing. Pain, conflict, hurt is injected into the waiting. So what do we do now? Habakkuk's got three things for us this morning in chapter two. Uh, Three parts to the series, three chapters of Habakkuk. We're marching right right through the way through. Chapter two begins. He's going to have three things. The first one is that we listen. We listen for God. Listen now to Habakkuk two, verse one. 
Habakkuk writes, he pledges, I will stand at my watch and I'll station myself on the ramparts. I'll look to see what he says to me and answer and what answer I am to give to this complaint. He, he positions himself, he stands on the, on the rampart, which we don't really understand today. It's the, it's the tallest part of a defensive fortification. He places himself in the best possible strategic location where he believes he can hear from God most clearly. We're going to learn a lot about his response, about in the waiting, in the hurt, in the pain, in the conflict, about listening for God. We're going to learn a lot from how he does it, how he manages this thing, because how he does it is not how I do it. And there's probably a couple people in the room or or watching with us today that uh, are recognizing it's not how you do it either. Because I go wrong in the waiting and the hurt and the pain. I go wrong one of a couple of ways. The first way that I go wrong is by asking God for a question, laying before him my problem, my issue, like whatever it is. And the first way that I'll go wrong is I assume like God isn't actually going to give me an answer. I I lay it all before him, I write it down, I put it on the prayer wall, and then I go on with my life. But like God is... What Habakkuk does is recognizing that that God is a God who answers. Not all the time with an audible voice of God, but there have been some instances where God has spoken into my life, like directly into my heart, with a surer conviction than if I would have heard it audibly, because then I would question my sanity. Like, God speaks. I I read uh, earlier this uh, theologian, I think Dave Meyer is his name, and he said that how often God answers God answers and find us gone. He gave the picture of this analogy. It's like God's ship touches our harbor, but there's nobody left standing there to unload the cargo. I thought it was such a cool picture because how often we ask for God, we plead with God for an answer, and then we move on. And God shows up with the freight of his cargo, but I'm not there. I'm, I've left. Emotionally, spiritually, I've moved on with something else, and there's nobody to unload the cargo. Habakkuk shows us, no, no, when you beg, when you plead with God to answer me, he will answer. Don't move. The first way that I go wrong is I don't actually expect God to answer, and I can't hear the response. The second way is the other extreme. When I demand not just any answer, when we demand our answer. Like, God, I'm going to lay before you my issue, my request, and I want you to grant this one in the way and in the format I need you to respond. What Habakkuk does is he's like, he's like opening himself up for correction. He's standing at the place where he believes he can most strategically see and hear from God, number one, listen for God, And he listens for whatever God has for him to speak. Even if it's not the news we wanted to hear. Because even if it isn't good news to us, because he says it, it's still good news. Even if it means deeper into the valley, like we heard heard last week. Perfect example of this. Habakkuk didn't know him. We know him. Paul. He wrote much of the New Testament. Lots of letters, books of of the New Testament were written by Paul. He probably, outside of Jesus, did more to advance the, the church or the kingdom of God than many, any, other, any other human in history. I mean, it's like 
Like Paul, right? Like he's, he's way up here. One of the places that Paul wrote this letter, he talks about how he had a thorn in his side. Probably not literally, but, but some kind of a pain, some affliction. And he's like waiting for God to do something about. God, take this thing away from me. And over, the, over history, theologians have really wrestled with like what that thing was. Um, theologians have speculated that maybe it was like blindness, like he couldn't see so well, or some of his, some of his words, his, his writings that would kind of suggest somebody else was doing the writing for him. So, you know, maybe he didn't see so well blindness. Um, maybe it was a physical pain, uh, some kind of chronic pain that was in his life. And he's just like, man, I could do ministry so much better if you were, if I was free from this thing, God, would you free from, uh, some people speculate, maybe there was some kind of addiction that was harbored in his life. Uh, others, maybe it was depressive episodes that he went down. God, if you would just remove this thorn, this affliction, this pain from me, I would sing your praises. Do you know, God, how much better, how much more of effective uh, person I would be, a kingdom worker that I would be for you if you would just like remove this thing from me? God, don't do it for me, would you? Paul says that three times he wrestled with God to take this thing away from him. And I, I gotta believe that this isn't like three times he prayed you know, over his meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and God didn't respond. No, no. I imagine these are seasons that go on and on for weeks, maybe months at a time. Three different seasons of wrestling. God, take this thing away from me. And God gives his answer. And not the answer that he wanted. Paul sticks around for the answer. You know the answer that he gets. He gets, my grace is sufficient for you. How do you think that went over for Paul? Grace? Grace, I'm wrestling with you over this affliction. God, I'm trying to work for you over here and you're talking to me about grace being sufficient? I didn't show up, God, for your grace. I showed up for your power. May your power be sufficient over me. You know who needs your grace? Peter needs your grace, right? Mr. Deny you three times, afraid of a little girl, right? Like, that dude needs your grace. I need your power, show up. Right, Thomas, Thomas, doubting Thomas, unless I, you know, see the hand holes and put my hand in in his side, I'm not going to believe. Doubting Thomas needs your grace. I need your power. And the message of God is not the one that he wants to hear, but he positions himself and he hears it like Habakkuk. He listens and the response that he gets is, my grace is enough for you. A lot of you took that courageous step and put your prayer request on the wall. And I just can't help but wonder how many of us would be devastated if the answer that we got to the request was a simple, no, no, but my grace is enough for you. His grace is enough. The first thing that we do in the hurt, in the conflict, in the pain of waiting. We listen for God. Second thing that we do from Habakkuk is we write down the response we get from God. We write down his response. Habakkuk 2, next verse now, verse 2. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain. 
write down the revelation, make it plain on tablets so that a herald might run with it. We have said it once, we'll say it a hundred more times, that a dull pencil beats a sharp mind in remembering the truths that God speaks to you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step a wee bit outside of my lane here and, uh, and join up with some things that I've been hearing from the medical community, medical professionals, a saying that they have, if it's not documented, it didn't happen. Which, you know, relates, relates in the medical field as like, hey, if, if you didn't document the, the exam, the blood pressure, the medications that were administered, we have no way of knowing that they really happened. If it's not, if it wasn't documented, it didn't happen. That's how critical... That's how critically important it is to keep track and to write down. My friends, I think those of us in the Jesus community, when it comes to our faith life, could take a playbook, to take a play from that book. Write it down. Document it. There's something that we don't talk about all the time around here. Uh, it, Maybe it doesn't fit in as nicely with the sitcom kind of sermon style that a lot of churches have, including this one, and I'm not against that. But what we don't often acknowledge is that we actually have an enemy whose sole purpose and reason for existence is to lie, steal, and destroy whatever faith life that, we, that God might be harboring inside of us. That he's on the prowl looking to lie, steal, and to destroy our faith. And he's going to take that away from us, especially especially if we don't have it written down, if we don't have the, the moments with God, the truths of God, the encouragements of God, the blessings of God documented in our lives. Like for some of us, we had a moment last week. We gathered, we gathered together, we sing praise to God, we put up our requests on the wall. God moved in our lives and he brought us some blessings, some encouragement. Maybe God gifted you faith for the first time or for the first time in a long, long time. And then what happened? You go out to the kids, you pick up, pick up your kids, sign them out, you grab more than enough cookies to get on the ride home peacefully, top off the coffee, in the car ride, in the van ride, on the way home, you hear from the back seat, stop touching me. She's over on my side, right? There's a bickering and fighting. By the time you get into your driveway, you're like one hand on the wheel, you know, one hand backwards and going like, you're on your side and you're on your side. And you, you pull into the driveway and you're like, man, 15 minutes later, and I'm questioning, did God even speak to me? Was he present? Did he actually give me faith? Was he actually offering that blessing, that encouragement? If it wasn't documented, it may as well have not happened. You have an enemy who's seeking to lie, steal, and destroy your faith. And don't let the devil take from you what God gave to you. Write it down. So you can come back to it again and again. I love what... uh, you know, we, we read here in the, in the NIV version uh, of this passage, make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. I'm not a tablet guy. Uh, the last time I got out like my uh, chisel and hammer to like write out something I wanted to remember. I mean, it's been a minute. Let's, let's acknowledge that. Uh, not a tablet guy. But um, I love what Eugene Peterson, he wrote the message and he, he translates this one. Um, make it plain 
write it out with big block letters so that you can see it on the run. Right? Like, like whatever it is. I mean, for him, it was tablets so that he, he could remember it and, and people would notice it. Really, but the point isn't the tablets. The point is making sure that you can see it on the run. I'm not a tablet guy. Honestly, and this is like confession time, I'm not even like a, like a paper and pen guy. Right? Uh, some of you are journal people. I see you like walking around with your journals. You're, you're like heroes to me. I'm not a journal guy, but I would love to be a journal guy. Uh, for me, like journal people are like, well, there's Jesus. There's like Peter, James, and John. You know, Paul maybe is in there. And there's journal people. Like <laughs> close second, right, on all that stuff. Journal people, it's, it's incredible to me. I took a sabbatical last year, you know, just a, a time when like a third of the time was dedicated to just like having God minister in my life. And I thought, if I'm going to become a journal person. You know, I got my fancy journal, suede, the counter logo stamped in the front. Got a little pen holder on the side so I can tuck a little pen in there I can never be without. You know how many entries I got? I got one entry. Yes, one entry. And I realized, not a journal person. Uh, I am, however, an email person. Some of you, that surprises, but that's okay. Uh, I, so I go to work, I come home. Sometimes my kids ask me how work was. Other times they just ask me how email was today. And if it's a Monday, they're usually right. Uh, I'm not a, not a journal person, not a tablet guy, uh, but I do email. So like what I started to do is, is journal with, with my email account. I would write myself notes, things that I wanted to remember. I'd file them away like I do with other email. I set up email accounts for my kids uh, when they were born. Uh, Gmail accounts, and I just started sending them notes, uh, prayers uh, that I have in their life, and I hope someday, maybe, they're going to learn to appreciate that when, when they read that and they're older. I'm, a, I'm an email person. I can keep track of things. I, that's how I can make it plain to remember the truths that God speaks to me in my life, because if it wasn't documented, I will forget that it ever happened. And so for this message, I thought, well, I'm going to go back to my journal, and I'm going to pick up a truth that I had totally forgotten about. And so more or less, I just randomly picked one up from a couple of years ago, and it was an email that somebody wrote to me. It said, Dirk, the podcast of Failure to Purpose made a major impact on me and others this week. I, for the life of me, have no recollection of preaching a sermon called Failure to Purpose. I don't, even, I don't know what series that was in. I've gotten, I'm sure you guys know. Like, you remember, right? Journal people remember. You got it. I don't remember, though. As I listened to the podcast, I felt my stress being released by the Holy Spirit. I got a new name for the devil. I call him two-thirds. The devil has been telling me two truths and a lie. Now, when I know a thought is coming from the devil, I've been stopping him earlier. I want only thoughts from the perfect 100% Lord and Savior. My daughter said that the live sermon was great too. This encouraged me to listen to the podcast. I live in Indiana. Tell your tech team they made an impact. Tech team, you made an impact. It's like three years late, but you know, we're on it. Uh, I'll be in Grand Rapids this coming weekend. Looking forward to the service. It'll be great to give you a high five and an amen and celebrate how amazing our Lord and Savior is. Jeff. His real name, Jeff. I don't remember what Jeff looks like. I already said I don't remember the sermon. I don't remember the series that that one was in. I don't remember so much about this other than the fact that I do remember somebody walking up to the pavement when I was greeting outside like this, and I'm like, yeah, man, praise Jesus, right? He's risen. Like, what are we doing? He's like, no, 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 I'm Jeff. 
I'm like, high five guy. I'm here for my high five from Indiana. And I'm like, no way, it's Jeff. Like, hey, high five, right on. And I don't, I don't think I've seen Jeff back. But the, yeah, Jeff, you probably see us, and that's okay. Point is, I don't remember so much about this. God moved powerfully in this guy's life. And it was so easy to just absolutely forget about it. If it wasn't documented, it might as well not have ever happened for me. I have to remember, you and I, we have to remember not to let the devil take from you what God gifted to you. Write it down. Listen to God. Write down his response to remember his movements in your life. Number three, wait on his time. Verse three. In the hurt, in the pain, waiting on him. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Though it linger, wait for it. Though he lingers, wait for him. Though she lingers, wait for her. It's Valentine's Day weekend, and I just feel the burden to, uh, to share perhaps some unsolicited wisdom that I've gathered uh, over some time. I am not a uh, trained professional in this field whatsoever. Uh, however, I have been blessed and benefited uh, from journeying with somewhere around 70 couples on the way to, uh, to their wedding day. And I've made some observations along the way. So, uh, not maybe advice, but observations. Uh, that the really healthy relationships that I've noticed, and these are going to start with C, because I'm a preacher and I am who I am. Uh, the really healthy relationships, to get to that point, have a few things going for them. The first one, and I'd probably say the most important one, is commitment is this recognition, and I, and I tell everybody this, uh, that love is not a feeling that you fall into or out of. It's a decision every single day to wake up and love the person that God brought to you in marriage. Commitment. Some of you are like, yeah, dude, you did my wedding and you mentioned that. And I'm like, I mentioned that at 70 wedding, like so, much, so often. Uh, commitment. The next one, closely behind character. Uh, after that one, you're looking for compatibility and also the chemistry that kind of spark. Usually the last one that most people put uh, as the first one. I'll tell you the one, the word that you are not looking for. As she lingers, as he lingers, as God lingers in bringing him or her to you, the one that you are not looking for is compromise. Do not compromise your commitment. Do not compromise who you are looking for, and the character of the person. Don't compromise your compatibility or your chemistry. Don't compromise. I can't tell you how important this is. In recognition, though God might linger in making this happen for you if you want it to happen, we would be wise to remember that single is a whole number, that God called you, not necessarily to be in a relationship or to be out of a relationship. God called you to be fruitful and to be faithful in the place that he has placed you. Fruitful and faithful. Never compromising, even for a moment. We're waiting. We're waiting for that appointed time. The time thing is pretty important. How long? 
What does that appointed time mean? Is there like a date on the calendar that I could like circle? How long am I going to be in this city? How long am I going to wait for my kid to wise up? How long am I going to wait to be healed from the injury, from the migraines, from the depressive episodes? How long? God, you, you have a date, right? You have a meeting on the calendar? God says it's not like that. Appointed time is probably not the best translation that we could use. There's probably better ones. Hebrew word for appointed time is the, is the word moed. Uh, moed is a, is a sense of time, but it, it's sort of like the anticipation of time or the, the, the filling of time, the softening of time, the fullness of time. The appointed time, the, the moed time is, is, is driving your family 18 hours from Grand Rapids, Michigan to Orlando, Florida. This might be a true story, right? And driving the entire way there, pulling in. Everybody's asleep, but you can tuck them in. It's fine. The only thing that you have to do before you get to lay your head down on the pillow is put air in the air mattress and you're just watching as the, hopefully you've got one of these like electric little pump deals and you're just watching as the air mattress is filling with air. It's getting bigger. It's getting fuller. It's getting softer. You're dreaming about being able to lay your head on that air mattress and fall asleep for a night that's better than you've ever had before. Finally, it's here. It's the fullness of time. It's the moed of time. It's now time, and you're watching it build. Uh, Kids get this thing. My kid asked me uh, already, Dad, when's Christmas? And when he asked me, it was December 25, and I told him, but it's Christmas today. And he goes, no, not this Christmas, next Christmas. I'm like, this kid has some anticipation that's going to build for 12 months, you know. It's that moed. It's the fullness of time. It's growing. It's deepening. It's softening. It's going to happen in his time. And the answer is that we get in the meantime, even if we don't love them. A delay of the moed, God's delays are not God's denials. We would be wise. We've said it before. We'll say it a hundred more times. We will be wise to remember that if it's not God's time, You can't force it. And when it is God's time, you can't stop it. God's delays are not God's denials. Waiting time is not wasted time. Not in his moed. Not if we've strategically placed ourselves to expect an answer but not demand one. Listening for God. Not if we're we're writing down whatever response that he says, even if it's grace is enough. Waiting time isn't wasted time. And I'll share just one more verse as an encouragement with y'all. Verse 4c, he says, the enemy, the Babylonians that are bringing, that are coming, see the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. These are not good people. But the righteous person, and I think Habakkuk longs to be included in that language, the righteous person. I think the spirit of God who spoke to Habakkuk then and speaks to us today, I think the spirit of God longs for us to be included in that number, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Will live by his faithfulness. Not faith in a particular outcome. It's different than that. We live by his faithfulness. We live by faith in the person of God, in the character of God, and whatever outcome God has for us. Well, grace Grace is sufficient. I'll share these words of uh, a theologian, hero of the faith from the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon. 
I love what he had written. He said, there are no loose ends in the threads of providence. God keeps perfect time. God's Moed swelled and built in anticipation in the fullness of time up to the place where God knew it's now time to break into the world that he once made in the birth of his son, Jesus. And with the time built and he not only told us how to live, but showed us how to live. He went to the cross and death and resurrection and back again to new life and his fullness of time. And he's making good on his promises to you and I today as well in his Moed time. And in the meantime, we wait. There's a room for us Max Lucado shares it. He says, I sit here in the waiting room. The receptionist took my name, recorded my insurance data, and gestured a chair. Please, have a seat. We'll call you when the doctor is ready. And I look around. I see a mother holding a sleeping baby, a fellow dressed in a suit, thumbs through a magazine. A woman with a newspaper looks at her watch, sighs, and continues the task of the hour, waiting. The waiting room. Not the examination room, that's down the hall. Not the consultation room, that's on the other side of the wall. Not the treatment room. Exams, consultations, and treatments, they'll all come later. The task at, the, the task at hand is the name of the room. The waiting room. We in the waiting room understand our assignment to wait. We don't treat each other. I don't ask the nurse for a stethoscope or blood pressure cuff. I don't pull a chair next to the woman with the newspaper and say, tell me, what prescriptions are you taking? That's the job of the nurse. My job is to wait. So I do. Can't say I like it. Time moves, I don't know, like an Alaskan glacier. The clock ticks every five minutes, not every second. Someone presses the pause button. Life in slow motion. Again, there's not a, a ribbon or a bow on it. And I pray that you recognize that that's just more honest sometimes. Because you're in that room. You wrote something down on a piece of paper and tucked it into our prayer wall last week. And God didn't resolve it. Another tick of the clock, another check of the watch, waiting. What do you do in the waiting and the pain and the hurt and the conflict? Position yourself to listen for God. Write down his response and wait on his moed full I want to end our time together by coming back to the prayer wall. And if I could up the ante just a little. You received one of these uh, sheets of paper again. Last week, so many of you took the courageous step to put on the wall the cry of your heart. If I could ask you this week and promise anonymity, we're not going to take these out. We're not going to look at them. We will pray over them every single day, but, but generally and from a distance. We'll honor your conversation with God, but I just, I'd like you to take that courageous step this week of writing down something that maybe you've had a hard time acknowledging in the past, even acknowledging it to God.
running down that thing that you've been holding in for so long. Saying, God, this, this is what I'm waiting for. In your time. In your time. At this time, I invite everybody to stand up at Kenwood, at Fulton Heights, in your living room, wherever you might be. We're going to spend a little time praying together. During this last song, you can come over and put your the cry of your heart into, into the wall. We have a prayer team next to the wall. If you want to pray with somebody in person, this is the time. Jesus, you broke into the world that you made when you knew it was time. Admittedly, Lord, we don't always know when that time is, and we get impatient in the waiting. Spirit, give us the courage to place ourselves strategically this week so we can hear from you, listening to you, Give us the follow-through to write down and document whatever it is that you told us, however it is that you moved powerfully in our lives. God, mostly though, we ask for faith. Faith in the waiting. Faith in the wondering. Faith in the room none of us want to be in. But Jesus, you're here with us, and we're grateful for that. Give us faith, Lord. Amen. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.